The Dream World podcast is all about bridging the gap between science and spirituality. So today I'm so thankful for Dr. Denho Maspi, who is a scientist and expert in lucid dreaming and mental health counseling. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Of course. And I saw that you have the largest lucid dreaming study ever conducted. That's awesome. Yeah, that's right. Um, last time I checked, I've done both of the largest ones so far. So I did my first big study was the National Australian Lucid Dream Induction Study. And then after I completed all my PhD study, I did one more big study, you know, for my own reasons, sort of um, as an independent researcher. And that one's called the International Lucid Dream Induction Study. And at, at the time of publication, that was the largest one to date. So how did you get started with lucid dreaming in general? I imagine it's something you like to do before you started researching it. That's right. I've always been fascinated by lucid dreaming and, you know, by the mind generally, by various different ways of accessing uh, different states of consciousness, like, for example, meditation. I've also got some published research in that area as well. And I'm very interested in the, you know, the, the new field of psychedelic therapy, which is very much opening up right now. And we're seeing some incredible results with that. Um, I'm also a mental health um, a counselor and sort of work in that area too. So that's an area of interest. But for lucid dreaming, I've, I've always been fascinated. I was having lucid dreams as a child, but I was never able to have them with the kind of regularity that I really wanted to. And I would read books by, you know, Stephen LeBerge and other famous lucid dreamers about how they became very successful, but I could never quite get it. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, I was starting my PhD in psychology. And the night before my PhD started, I actually had a spontaneous lucid dream. And it was the first one that I'd had in a little while. And I woke up and I was incredibly inspired. And I thought to myself, wow, maybe I could do research on this instead. You know, how cool would it be to devote myself for the next four years to just doing this full time? And so I went into my university, I changed my topic and I said, hey guys, you know, I know I'm supposed to be doing research on body language, which is what I'd already signed up to do, but I want to do research on lucid dreaming. And they were all like, well, okay, if this is what you want to do. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a number of years later, and here I am, I've conducted several very large studies. And as you know, from reading yourself, I've done quite a lot of work in this area. Yeah, that's super incredible. I guess sometimes those last minute decisions turn out to be a huge part of your life path. Yeah, totally. I've had quite a few of those. You know, you make these split second decisions and you never know where it can lead you if you just follow that passion. Exactly. Exactly. I'm learning that as well. Um, so for all the lucid dreamers out there, what have you found? I know you have six different combos, but what are your main most effective ways that you found for your induction methods? Out of all the research I've done and also my own personal experimentation, the most effective approach so far seems to be a combination of three things. And so we've got, you know, some, some people classify lucid dreaming techniques into different categories. And so we've got cognitive techniques, and this refers to things like the mild technique and doing reality tests. Basically, any kind of mental exercise is a cognitive technique. And then we've got supplements, which a lot of people listening to this have probably heard of things like the dream herb, Mexican dream herb, or Calais, or you know, things like galantamine. So we've got supplements. And then we've also got external stimulation devices. And so this is like the dream light, which, you know, Stephen LeBerge created or other ways that give your body some kind of external stimulus while you're asleep to help you become lucid. 
And the best approach seems to be to combine all three. And so based on my research, the mild technique or the uh, mnemonic induction of lucid dreams technique is the full name for that one. Combining that with wake back to bed after five hours of sleep. So doing it in the middle of the night and then adding in galantamine or a similar substance. And then um, if you want, you can also add an external stimulation device as well. And if you combine these three approaches or at least the mild technique and a supplement, this seems to give you the best chances of having a lucid dream. Yeah, it makes sense completely. Um, all those things have helped me lucid dream as well. And I know that so many people have different minds and all of our brains work differently. So a lot of people tend to just experiment with different techniques until they really find what works for them. But it's good to know that there's proof scientifically that certain things are more effective than others. Absolutely. And that's that's a really good point you said about everyone being different as well. Lucid dreaming is such a, an individual, personal process. And one of the things that I've always emphasized to people, you know, because I've done, um, you know, for a while there, I was doing one-on-one lucid dreaming coaching with people. And then I decided to put all of that knowledge into a video course. I made this six-week video course um, to learn lucid dreaming. And one of the key features of that course and the one-on-one work that I did was to guide people through a process of trying a whole range of different techniques. So, you know, even the mild technique itself, you know, sometimes you want to, you know, for someone that sleeps very heavily, you need to wake yourself up a little bit more to do the technique so that you can complete it before falling asleep. So for someone like that, instead of just, you know, setting an alarm after five hours and then doing the technique, you might want to actually get out of bed and maybe read about lucid dreaming for 15 minutes or something before doing the technique. Whereas someone else who's a very light sleeper, you um, you don't want to wake yourself up too much. You want to just set the alarm, do the technique straight away and then go back to sleep. And so in all the times that I've taught other people lucid dreaming, I would really emphasize that you need to spend a lot of time experimenting and learning about your own mind and your own sleep and dreaming patterns and recording this information if possible to find an approach that's going to work for you. Yes, completely. It makes sense. It's definitely a very personal practice. Yeah, absolutely. This is something, again, like uh, that I include in the course that I created. So I get people to document their own specific dream signs. And, you know, as as you would know, and many listeners know, people have very unique uh, dream signs, which are recurring elements. So some people, you know, myself, for example, I often drink about large bodies of water. So like lakes or oceans or things like that. Um, other people, it might be other things. I had one, one of my clients would dream about red cars, like almost every night, you know, it seemed like such a, you know, such a red random thing that they would dream about, but it was really useful because when we identified that, we would get them to do a dream, a reality test every time they saw a red car. And by making it that personal during the day, it helped them to have lucid dreams at nighttime. So I still think that reality testing is a useful technique, but even when you do identify those dream signs, it's usually something that I would consider more like a supporting technique rather than a primary method for having lucid dreams. Yes, definitely. I completely agree. Even from my own experience, I kind of just incorporate it, like you said, as a supplement. And it just kind of helps me to be more mindful and um, just kind of think ahead about when I'm in that dream and maybe see a dream signal might just increase my chances, per se. 
Exactly. And even just priming your mind to be thinking about lucid dreaming can help. Like, for example, just last night. So yesterday I, I was interviewed by um, here in Australia, ABC Radio. It's one of the you know, one of the larger radio stations. And I had this radio interview and they were asking me all about lucid dreaming. And purely from that, I then last night had the first lucid dream that I've had in a couple of weeks because I haven't been I've been very busy. I haven't been doing techniques recently, but doing that radio interview and then thinking about lucid dreaming that was enough to then precipitate a lucid dream myself and so same with things like reality testing or just spending a bit of time reading about dreams before you go to sleep it just brings that back up into your mind and increases the chance that you'll become lucid when you're in your dreams most definitely most definitely the mind definitely picks up what we're feeding it and it starts to translate when you become lucid and in your practice in general throughout the years what what do you work on in that space Uh, what kind of things do you use your lucid dreams for well, it depends on what kind of priorities I have in my life at the time. Like last night, like right now, I've been focusing a bit more on the therapy side of my career. So I haven't been doing as much lucid dreaming work myself. And so last night was the first one that I'd had for a little while. And so I just used it as an opportunity to, you know, just enjoy myself. So most of that, I just spent the lucid dream flying around and enjoying the environment. It was a, this kind of beautiful, almost like a hybrid before between like a modern city with skyscrapers and but also with like jungles and forests and stuff all mixed through. And it was, yeah, it was just a lot of fun to just sort of fly through all of that and explore the environment and see how long I could keep it going for. Yeah, that's awesome. Sometimes it's really great to just take it in and just admire and see what the dream has. Do you have any tips for like staying stable in your lucidity and trying to keep it going on for longer? Because I know a lot of people are like, oh, I got too excited and I woke up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's lots of techniques. Sometimes they're called stabilization techniques to help keep the dream stable. Um, as any anyone out there would know, and I'm sure you do as well, dreams have a tendency to become unstable and often they sort of transition from one environment you know maybe you're in a city one second and then it starts to fade out and go blurry and then all of a sudden you're in a different place like back in your bedroom or somewhere totally different and so one thing you can do to help stabilize it which i always teach people is to simply put your hands together as if you know as if you're about to start clapping your hands and just rub your hands together you know vigorously and this sounds like a really strange thing to do, but what it's actually doing is it's flooding your brain, um, like the motor cortex uh, sort of part of your brain. It's, it's flooding your brain with sensations generated within the dream. And by doing this, it helps to to put it informally. It basically locks you into the dream and prevents your brain from, from receiving signals from your actual physical body, which is you know not moving and just lying in bed. And so if you clap your hands together and start rubbing them really fast, and then you just keep that up for as long as you can. And what often happens is the dream can sometimes still fade away and, and you know go to go to blackness or something like that. And this is this is really critical. This is where people often will then assume that they've woken up or their their lucid dream has ended, and then they give up. And then they actually do wake up or they go into a non-lucid dream. But the thing is, if you can still feel your hands rubbing together, that means you're still in a dream because it's it's pretty much impossible to go from you know having your hands you know under your pillow or by your side or whatever position you're sleeping in. You can't really go from that to rubbing your hands together just by doing in your dream because your body is paralyzed so if you can still feel that sensation you know you might think that you're just lying in bed rubbing your hands and you know what's my just sleeping with a partner you know what are they going to think of me that i'm just sort of lying there rubbing my hands together 
But if you can still feel that sensation, it means you're still dreaming. So just keep it up as long as you can. And you'll either go back into a dream or you'll wake up and find that your hands are stationary by your side. Makes complete sense. Definitely. It's, it takes some practice, but I definitely see that the more you try and the more you practice, even through the so-called failures, your lucidity will just get better and better. Yeah. And always doing those. This is why reality testing is such a good supporting practice, because if you make it a habit to do it every time you even suspect that you might be dreaming, then in those times when you're trying to stabilize a dream and then you transition to a new scene, you'll still have that habit of doing a reality test. You know, that happened to me several times last night where my dream faded out and I thought I might have woken up, but I did a test and and then realized that the, the dream was still going. And so I would have missed out on a whole lot of my lucid dream if I hadn't built that habit. For sure. I've definitely experienced that as well. Just to catch all the little extra weird moments that are dreamlike, just getting in the habit of noticing those things. Yeah, I think it all really in a way ties back to just mindfulness. Have you found, I know you have a lot of like research and experience with like mindfulness and meditation. Um, How does that overlap with dream work, you know, with the mindfulness and the meditation aspect of it? You feel like there's some similarities in those um, skills? Yeah, definitely. So just from anecdotal evidence and my own experience as well, when I've had periods of doing a lot more mindfulness meditation, I've noticed that I tend to have better dream recall and also more lucid dreams as well. So like I've had that myself, I've heard a lot of people say the same thing. And so I wanted to ask people about this in my scientific studies to get some, you know, some hard data on this, as well as the anecdotal evidence. And what I found is people who meditated who did mindfulness specifically within an hour of falling asleep, I think they had approximately a 50% chance, 50% higher chance of having a lucid dream. So let's say your base rate is that you have lucid dreams, you know, 10% of nights. If you do meditation beforehand, then that should go up to more like 20% of nights. And what I found, which is really interesting, is that that, that doubling of your likelihood, that happened regardless of whether you did a lucid dreaming technique or not. So, you know, if you do a lucid dreaming technique, it's better again. I'm not saying, you know, only do meditation and don't do the techniques, but whether you do techniques or not, if you add in some mindfulness meditation before bed, you're going to most likely increase your chances um, higher again and by, by 50% on average. We'll be right back. Are you interested in yoga, meditation, and reading spiritual self-help books? Do you admire spiritual teachers such as Oprah, Gabrielle Bernstein, or Eckhart Tolle? Now let me ask you, do you find yourself contemplating life's biggest, most mysterious questions? (laughs) Me too. Which is why I started the Cultivating Spiritual Curiosity Podcast. On this show, I talk with spiritual leaders about everything. Yoga, mental health, therapy, intuition, spirit guides, law of attraction, mediumship, and so much more. Click the links below to join our eye-opening conversations. Wow, yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, I think just the more you do these types of therapy for your consciousness, as I call it, you know, it's all connected. You'll have better results all around. So that that makes complete sense. What's next for your research? Well, next for my research, I'm actually not doing research on lucid dreaming presently. I might come back to it 
at some point. But right now, as I um, briefly alluded to at the start, I'm very interested in the use of psychedelics for psychotherapy. And so I'm about to start a new research project looking at people's experiences using these compounds to heal their minds. And I know it's, um, you know, it's somewhat of a controversial subject. You know, there's been a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of fear around these things. But for anyone that's up to date with the research, we're seeing a huge renaissance and a lot of very serious research looking at the use of things like um, psilocybin or LSD or MDMA to treat to treat disorders, things like chronic post-traumatic stress disorder or severe um, treatment resistant depression. And we're seeing some really incredible results, you know, better results than we can get with other more traditional forms of therapy. And so this is something I'm very fascinated in and something that I would very much like to get involved in. So that's the next thing that I'm planning on doing um, in terms of research. Yes, that is great. I am most definitely on that wave, not only through my own experiences, but I'm also just fascinated by the science behind it. Um, I think, like you said, um, there's a certain stigma around it because of the levels of consciousness that these types of therapy can provide and the level of awareness. So I feel like now that people are shifting away from those controlled mental processes, they're starting to use these things to heal. And the results, like you said, have been incredible. So I'm excited to see where you go with that. Um, I know you said you were just beginning getting into it, but um, what have you found about the science of what that does to our brains and how it helps us heal? Um, yeah, well, I, I, haven't, I haven't started any of my own research projects yet, but it's an area that I've been following for a long time. So it's something that I, I'm already quite knowledgeable about. And I just I think it's just incredible. You know, we're still mapping out how these things work and different substances seem to work in different ways. So, for example, ketamine, um, you know, sometimes this is uh, dismissed as, the, oh, yeah, that's a horse tranquilizer. But it's also one of the first line anesthetics that they'll give to children. Um, you know, when an ambulance comes to a, you know, like a car crash scene or something like that, because of how favorable the safety profile is of ketamine, it's often one of the first things I'll give to a child as opposed to other medications. So ketamine, unlike some of the other psychedelics, seems to alleviate depression in a way that doesn't depend on doing talking therapy as well. So like, you know, if you give someone MDMA or you give them psilocybin, which is the the compound that's found in magic mushrooms. If you you know the way that they do therapy with those substances is you'll administer the the substance and then you'll get someone to sit down with a psychologist or a psychiatrist and you basically talk through your stuff. You know you talk through what's going on for you for you know hours for the duration of the trip, and this is part of the healing process. Whereas with ketamine, it doesn't seem to rely on having that talking therapy. It seems like ketamine is doing something within the brain to sort of shape up some some firing patterns within the brain that are a bit stuck or or generate some new perspective or something that's not dependent on on that talking therapy which i think is just fascinating and we don't quite know why that is but we're starting to understand some of the reasons for this like with um you know mdma or with psilocybin for example they tend to inhibit the amygdala which is involved in the fear response and so if you give someone mdma or psilocybin you can then talk through a traumatic event that they might have experienced in the past you know someone that's been through a war situation or domestic violence or whatever it might be 
and you can get them to revisit that experience, but without activating so much of the fear response, which comes with the amygdala. And this allows the person to then reprocess those memories and form new connections within the brain that don't trigger the fear that would normally come with it. And we think this is part of why these substances can be so powerful for generating healing. They can literally rewire the brain in a therapeutic kind of a way. Yes, most definitely. And the rewiring, like you said, that's just such a good way to put it because you can really feel the healing. And um, I know, like you said, a lot of people might be skeptical or unsure about it, but I think a lot of people are starting to listen to their bodies and trust, you know, these little Easter eggs that we have on earth to help us with our healing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we were having a, a huge you know, explosion of research in this, as, as I'm sure you know, you know, through the 60s and the 70s. Um, but then, you know, due to certain sort of governmental policies and, you know, like Timothy Leary, for example, you know, he was talking about, you know, let's spike the town water supply with LSD because it'll be good for everybody. And, you know, this is this is really like quite reckless stuff to be saying. And I think people just freaked out. They were like, well, this is getting out of control. We need to shut it down. And, and you know, there was a quite a few, a few decades there where this whole scene became quite stagnant. But now, you know, we're having this renaissance and better quality research methods. We know a lot more about the brain. We have better technologies for imaging the brain and looking at what's going on when someone's taking a substance. And now we're getting an opportunity to you know, revisit this and, and see how can we actually use these things safely to really help people. I am excited for that and for you. And I hope if you have any opportunities to participate in any research, um, you can most definitely contact me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm planning to do it. I'll probably start with a survey study because it's it's harder to administer these substances. As you can imagine, you know, it's very expensive to obtain the substances. There's a lot of red tape that you have to go through. You have to store it safely and have security measures and things like that. But survey research where you ask people, People, you know, can you tell me about some of the experiences that you've had yourself? This kind of research is much easier to do on a large scale. And so I'm planning on doing that kind of research to begin with. So I'll definitely let you know when I'm, you know, when I'm doing this kind of research, I'll be trying to get as many participants as possible to share their experiences. I'll definitely include the links to your website and your course in the show notes below. And I would love to close off by asking you just to share one of your most amazing pivotal dream experiences, whatever you feel like you can share. Yeah, absolutely. So I can tell you about, I don't know if you've, if you've seen in the research you've done about me, but I was invited, I had the honor of giving a, a TEDx talk uh, a few years ago, and I talked about this dream there as well. And it was a, it was a very inspirational dream where I... I was having a nightmare and I was in my, my family home and there was someone outside and they were trying to basically set the house on fire. You know, it was, it was a very terrifying experience and I locked the front door and, um, and, and I, and then I was thinking about what do I do about this and how do I escape? And then it occurred to me that what about if I'm in a dream? And so I tried doing a reality test. And the one that I chose in that moment was to see if I could stick my fingers through um, a wall. You know, there was this corrugated iron fence and I tried to stick my fingers through this wall and my fingers just went straight through. And so as soon as I did that, I, I realized straight away, well, you know, this is a dream. And in that moment, all the fear just melted away. You know, I wasn't afraid at all anymore. And I opened the front door and instead of there being this person there, you know, this person trying to 
doused the house in, in kerosene and set me on fire, that was all gone. And instead there was this incredible botanical garden and I stepped out and I, could, I can still remember now, it's, it was just as vivid as any waking life memory. And I could remember, you know, the feel of the sun on my skin and there was pollen in the air, you know, that beautiful sort of autumn glow that you sometimes see. And I sort of walked through this this garden and these towering trees and the air and the sounds of the birds. And it was just so incredibly realistic and so vivid. And I'd have to say that, you know, out of all the dream experiences that I've had, and I've done all kinds of self-experiments where I'd, you know, try to manipulate the weather or, you know, fly or change to different locations. But the even still that one dream of simply walking through that garden is one that's always stuck with me and been just such a beautiful experience. It, it sounds so beautiful. I love when I'm just in a lucid dream and you're just so in awe, like that feeling is unmatched. Anybody who lucid dreams knows. And especially after something scary, like a nightmare, it's just, it's such a relief. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you again so much for having me on the podcast. Um, if people are interested in learning lucid dreaming, my lucid dreaming courses are still available online. So yeah, drdenamaskby.com. You can find out more about me there if you're interested. 